Hello, and welcome to the Beyond Borders podcast, the podcast that explores topics related to international trade. This podcast is brought to you by Buckland. For over 70 years, Buckland has been working to help companies across the world experience global trade in a better way. As a customer-focused company, we provide you with a single source of unmatched customs brokerage, trade-managed solutions, freight forwarding, trade technologies, and warehousing and distribution services. I'm your host, Jenny Kaus, Corporate Marketing Manager at Buckland, and today we will be sharing the audio from our recent live webinar on anti-dumping and countervailing duties. The presenter on our webinar was Chris Borganis, and he's the Manager of Compliance and Consulting here at Buckland. Chris is a licensed customs broker, and he holds his certified customs specialist designation. Chris has been with Buckland for four years and focuses on classification and specializes in OEM automotive, HVAC systems, aftermarket machinery, and testing apparatuses. I hope you'll enjoy listening in to this podcast today. Thank you, Jenny, and thank you everyone else for joining. It's my pleasure to be here today and, and kind of walk through this, this difficult and complicated topic with you. Um, so, you know, where to start? Where to start with this, you know, complicated topic? Um, you know, I'm going to start with just some general definitions of what is dumping and what is the anti-dumping duties. Uh, dumping itself is when a company exports a product to another country and then sells it for less than fair market value. Uh, that could be that you're exporting it at an unprofitable price, or it could be that you're selling it, you know, less than what you sell it for domestically with your own company. Anti-dumping duty, uh, collectively known or colloquially known as AD or ADD, amounts to a punishment for when companies are doing this uh, abroad. And so the next kind of question is, why would companies engage in dumping? Uh, you know, if you think about what I've said, one example is that when companies export something and sell it unprofitably abroad. Uh, the thought is, is that if companies sell these items cheaper, uh, so sell their products you know, cheaper than it costs them to make them uh, abroad, they could drive out competition or gain an increased market share. And once their market share is, has been maximized or their competition eliminated, they could raise their prices and then you know, truly see profit. Uh, Anti-dumping duty is the tariff that that stops this. Uh, so if something is found to be dumping, uh, anti-dumping duty is to keep foreign customers from selling unfairly here in the United States or in Canada. Uh, and one example, you know, anti-dumping is calculated by company. So these are issued on a company by company basis. While there's often ranges in, in implications for other producers of that item in the same country, uh, dumping is issued by com company itself. So next, you know, what is countervailing duties? Uh, countervailing duties, known as CVD, are an attempt to disrupt uh, via another type of advantage. Um, countervailing duties are issued when a country provides manufacturers who export uh, abroad a subsidy or some other form of assistance that gives them an unfair advantage. Uh, While well, subsidy is, you know, easy to define, right? Um, so subsidy is, is quite simply exporting uh, at, you know, unfair prices based on your, your domestic prices. Uh, you know, that unfair advantage is a much more vague term. So examples of that unfair advantage would be 
you know, uh, preferential tax incentives, preferential loan rates uh, for exporters, uh, or different grants and different forms of funding being granted to exporters by the country that they are being exported from. Um, so today we're primarily going to talk about anti-dumping and countervailing duties as it relates to the United States. Uh, but, you know, I did want to briefly touch on Canada. Uh, Canada and the U.S., while they differ, they have similar protectionary methods in place. Uh, in Canada, it's called SEMA, uh, which stands for the Special Import Measures Act. SEMA uh, is overseen by CBSA um, and the uh, Canadian International Trade Tribunal. Uh, they tag team that. Um, and for those inter interested in SEMA, uh, there's a couple links that I've placed on this slide. Uh, the main one is an overview to the SEMA process in Canada, which includes some, some Canadian-centric definitions, uh, although most of what I'm going over today would, would apply for both. Uh, the second is the current measures in force in place in Canada, meaning this is the open cases that are currently enacted in Canada. Um, Canada has much fewer cases enacted than the United States at this time. Uh, but if you have any specific questions about FEMA, about specific cases relating to your, your company, um, et cetera, please reach out to myself or CSA at Buckland.com following this webinar, and we'll be happy to, to work with you on that itself. All right. So next, I kind of wanted to walk through a few examples of AD and CVD. Um, you know, I'm trying to give some clear-cut examples here. So the first would be anti-dumping. Uh, if company A, a major supplier of screws, decides to expand in the U.S., uh, at home in China, their screws are $0.04 cents a screw. In the U.S., they market their product at $0.01 cents a screw, meaning it would be $0.03 cents less than in their domestic market. And we know it costs them $0.02 cents to make each screw. Uh, this would be a clear-cut example of dumping. Um, this company is taking a loss for every screw it sells in the U.S., they are essentially undercutting the U.S. You know, producers of screws, uh, and both U.S. and Canada would take action if you know a scenario like this played out. In terms of uh, an example of countervailing duties, uh, Company B, a supplier of bolts, decided to expand from China to the United States. Uh, at home, their bolts are three cents. Uh, in the U.S., they market their bolts at four cents, meaning it's it's more than what they were were marketing them for at home. Um, and then in the U.S., once they get to the U.S., the Chinese government gives them two cents per bolt in the form of a subsidy. So while the price in this example would be more than the you know, domestic price, uh, this would be countervailing duties uh, because uh, there's you know, two cents subsidy given on each bolt. Now, these two examples were, were clear-cut examples of AD and CBD, uh, but Sometimes it's not quite so clear, or sometimes it's not just one, it would be both. Uh, if we look at, you know, the example of the bolts for countervailing duties, uh, if they sold them at, you know, they marketed them, let's say, at one cent a bolt in the United States, this would then, you know, be a case of both anti-dumping and CBD. Additionally, you know, like I talked about, there's other levels of assistance um, that would, you know, be con considered a subsidy or assistance for exporters. Uh, so if, for example, uh, to expand to the United States, uh, Company B needed a loan uh, and the Chinese government's bank decided to give them an instant interest 
free loan, pardon me, if they got an interest-free loan to, to do this expansion, um, you know, that would be a different form of assistance. So equally important about what is AD and CVD, uh, it's what isn't. Um, so, you know, one thing I wanted to, to talk about is a, a comparative advantage uh, is not dumping. So I know I'm asking us all a lot to think back to our, our economics classes all those years ago. Um, but, you know, one example I have here is that if company C, a major supplier of T-shirts in China, decides to expand to the U.S. So in China, their shirts are $4 a shirt. Uh, it costs them $2 to, to make each shirt. And then in the U.S., they sell them for $5 a shirt. Um, even if the, the largest U.S. manufacturer of T-shirts sells their items at six bucks, which is more expensive. Uh, in this case, China, this Chinese company would just have a, a clear comparative advantage in the production of T-shirts. Uh, so this would not be a dumping instance. Uh, and this, you know, would eventually be struck down in the process. Uh, when we look at what isn't countervailing duties, uh, one example would be as if company B, a supplier of lamps, uh, expanded to the United States and in China, other lamps were three dollars, and in the U.S. they marketed them for four. Uh, so they would need, if they needed to take a loan to expand it into the U.S., and they took a loan from a bank, state-owned bank in China. Uh, so as opposed to the example of assistance above, where it was a uh, interest-free loan, uh, if this loan had the same interest rate as a loan that Bank of America or Chase or any other major lender, you know, offers, uh, this would not be a case of you know, assisting their company because the bank's in for profit as well. Uh, so if there was the loan at the same rate, it would not be a case of, of CPD. So how many of us first hear that our products are covered by anti-dumping or countervailing duties is when our brokers attempt to file an entry and the HTS code that, that you're using has flagged based on HGS code and country of origin. Um, so while anti-dumping and countervailing duties cases are by product types, companies, and or countries, each case is also related to potential HS codes. Now, one thing I wanna note is that these HS codes are guidelines, meaning just because an item is flagged for a specific HTS code, it does not mean that that item necessarily applies to the cases at hand. What it means is that if an item flags, an investigation will be needed on the scope of the case and on the product itself. As an example, uh, if a pipe fittings HS code flagged due to a tariff, uh, the case that it flagged for might only apply for seamless pipes, or it might only apply for pipes with a certain level of carbon included. Uh, so while those flags would have taken place for any pipe with that tariff, uh, it's the importer's job to look at the case and to see if your particular product applies. If a mid-size importer paid AED or CDD on every product that flagged uh, without ruling out non-applicable items, they could quickly pay millions or billions of extra duties a year that they would not need to pay. So it's really important that as, while you can use the HTS flag, it's important to also investigate the cases itself. Now, I'm gonna go into that investigation process a little bit later, but first, you know, either way, 
the next question is, is how to proactively tell if your items are flagged. So once they're flagged, either at the time of the entry by your broker, um, or if you proactively work them, the result will be the same investigation, uh, which I'll go into. Uh, but most of us, you know, are trying to, to have the best compliance programs possible, and we want to tell if an item flags beforehand. So um, while cases are for particular countries and particular companies, uh, and descriptions, which the descriptions have the proxy of HTS, uh, there's a couple ways to, to start this process. And there's a couple, you know, pluses and minuses with each approach. But essentially, uh, the approaches are to start with country of origin and eliminate your product lines, you know, via the country that you purchased them from, or to start with the HTS. Now, if you start with country of origin, it's going to be a less precise process, and it will require a larger understanding of the cases involved, as well as an understanding of all your product lines from those countries. If you start with the HTS, um, and the items that quote-unquote flagged by HTS code, uh, it will require you to classify your products in advance, which is, you know, while good practice, it's, it's a difficult practice. Uh, and it also is going to require you to look, you know, at quite a, you know, all of your items. So, you know, while there's pluses and minuses to each approach, uh, basically depending on how your program looks, you're going to want to choose or be able to choose one of these two options. Uh, so as a kind of clear-cut example, if you only import, you know, one product from another country, let's say that you import one item from Chile, it's much easier to look through the items that have ADD and CVD from Chile and to see if they apply uh, than to, you know, look through HTS codes of every item. Uh, you know, when we look at Chile, there's one case for Chile, and it's for preserved mushrooms, uh, most of us could quickly rule that out. However, if you import you know, items from 15 to 20 countries, uh, you know, and, and some of those China countries are, you know, China, for example, has quite a few cases, or countries in Southeast Asia, and even Mexico has quite a few cases. If you import from these countries, it's likely much easier to look by HTS and then to periodically review the cases in the countries to watch out for new cases and new product lines covered. So, uh, in the example of, you know, proactively telling by country of origin, uh, the best place to start would be uh, a web link that I've placed on the bottom of this slide. So, this is a resource issued by the Department of Commerce. And while it's not the most updated resource, uh, on it, you can see that, you know, any particular country of origin and what are the AD and CVD cases that are applicable. So, you know, in the screenshot there, we have Chile highlighted, and you can see that there's one case, which is, you know, the preserved mushrooms case that I talked about before. So all of the countries are present on this, um, and you could just click them to expand it out. And like Jenny said, we will be sending out this slide if you want to use that resource after the fact. So if you're starting by HTS code, uh, so starting by code. Um, so if this is the case, you would essentially need to bump all of your items, classification codes against an updated flagged listing. Um, so I've embedded the most recent listing in this presentation. Um, and Jenny, if, if you don't mind, can you open up that listing for us? But so you'll have a, a listing after we look at this today. 
But if you want a new listing or you need a little bit of help, you can always reach out to CSA group at Bethlehem.com uh, or you can get a similar listing from programs like Customs Info uh, or, you know, any of your brokers should be able to have. So Jenny has this listing here. Um, and so, you know, there's a tab, for example, on CVD and there's a tab on ADD and it will list out, you know, all the specific codes in column B. Um, so if your item has one of those code or HTS codes, uh, you will know that it is flagged based on that HTS code uh, for one of them. Um, so I typically like to do this myself in, in an access database where I combine the anti-dumping and countervailing duty codes into one table and then bump it against my product lines. That being said, there's there's many ways to, to work through this and uh, use this process scope. Uh, you know, the biggest and most hardest working uh, you know, issue with this approach is that you're going to have to classify your items. Um, you know, it, I find that it's something you need based on imports anyways, so it's worth the trouble. But depending on how your organization structure works, uh, that could be the problem. So uh, let's say your product has flagged. So it, it's had one of those codes uh, that Jenny was highlighting there, or you know that based on the product type, uh, if you're looking by the country approach, that you know you are likely covered by one of the you know the generic descriptions that are listed on the country page. If you flagged, uh, it could also be because your broker emails you and said, "Hey, this most recent import flagged for AD and CVD." If this happens, uh, your best friend in this process would be CVP's web-based search uh, portal. So we've placed a link for this in this slide, uh, but Essentially, the link works like cross works for, uh, you know, U.S. HTS rulings or, or country of origin rulings. Uh, it's just a similar database structure, and users can search for description, HS code, specific case numbers, or by common terms. So if you flagged based on the HS codes listed, I will then go to this page and kind of search the HTS codes and see, you know, what country of origins they're applicable of, and then go into the the specific scopes of those items. Uh, so once in this page, the, the idea is to look for scope or for final determination in order to see if your, your item applies. So there's a column on this page, which I've highlighted on the slide, uh, which has the ACE, uh, you know, it has the, the coding that's used in ACE, but you're gonna want to look for final determination or scope. Uh, documents and once you have these documents, you can open them up and review them for the specifics on each case. So once you have you know, the final determination, um, it becomes your job to determine if the case relating to your product is something that your product falls under. It's your job to then determine if you fall under that scope. So like classification itself, uh, this will require specifications, uh, and or additional information provided by our engineering team. In the final order, uh, the scope is typically in the item defined as number two, uh, if you're looking through you know, the final order documents. However, just because you find the scope in the documents itself, it does necess not necessarily mean that determining whether you apply is gonna be easy. So one of the juggernaut anti-dumping cases that most of us have probably heard of is cases on aluminum exclusions. Uh, so if 
you pull up the criteria for aluminum extrusions, uh, you can see, you know, that the criteria itself um, is two pages single-spaced and about 1,200 words. So that that's what determines on you know, what aluminum extrusions would qualify. The trick when you're looking through these documents is, you know, systematic brute force. So it's systematically working through the definitions laid out. Um, so typically there will be definitions on material composition. Uh, there'll be dimension definitions uh, and other specific things that you will want to know about your product to attempt to rule it out. So one thing I want to caution when you're doing this is please do not look at the first definition listed in the scope document. Say your item doesn't apply and then stop the process. So in the example of, you know, the long example of extrusions listed, um, the first definition laid out would be alloy number one. So alloy number one for aluminum is at least 99% aluminum by weight. Uh, if you stopped reading the definitions and, and stopped reading the scope at that point, because you only have 98% aluminum and 2% magnesium, you would miss the later call out saying that, you know, aluminum alloy number three AKA the one I just described is also covered under this scope. So make sure to systematically work through the scope ends of the documents to see if they apply. So if you've read through the, the scope order and you know, you've had you know, 10 or 11 instances of breathing a sigh of relief, every time you realize that your product doesn't fit uh, the specific definition laid out, uh, then you know, you're likely in the clear. Once you've gone through it and you can you know, determine that you do not apply for any of those specific cases, you know that you do not apply for that case. So that is one key point. You want to look through and you want to say, hey, I apply or I don't apply. Um, but it's equally important to document your notation on why your item does not apply. Uh, so sometimes this is easy. Uh, sometimes, you know, if, if you have a ruling for seamless copper tubing, and your tubing's welded, or it's made of steel, et cetera, it's going to be a simple elimination process. But if your item is excluded from, you know, definition number one, because its carbon out content is 0.1 outside of the criteria, and you're excluded from criterion B, because your diameter is one length smaller than that criterion, and if, you know, you are excluded from criteria C because of some shape or minute changes, uh, it's important to know why you do or do not apply to each of the criteria bases, because if customs ever comes inquiring, uh, you want to make sure that you had that documented um, and so you can quickly turn around and give it to them. Uh, these, you know, scope or process uh, workings is also important because it proves you have a robust program in place. If you can pull up any of your items and say, hey, this doesn't apply because of X, Y, and Z factors, even if there was a mistake made in one of those determinations, which obviously we would not want, but even if there is a mistake made in those determinations, uh, you can prove that it's, you know, it was a mistake and that you have a process in place uh, and they'll be much more lenient with you. I also want to note that just because you've worked through something and it doesn't apply today, doesn't mean it's not ever going to apply. These cases are updated periodically. And so, you know, you're going to want to keep your notes and audit trail in place. So if the case is changed, you can quickly make sure that it's the same criteria in place and you, you likewise don't apply. Or if they change, you want to, you know, know what's changed about that criteria to see if you're under scope.
So at the end of the day, you know, you've looked through and in multiple things or one thing uh, in the scope orders tell you that your item is is applicable. Uh, It's time, you know, the last chance, the last ditch effort would be to look at supplier applicability. So while country or countervailing duties cases are typically countrywide, uh, ADD cases focus on specific offending suppliers. Um, So be sure to read the whole order to see if your supplier is covered. Uh, And additionally, sometimes, you know, different suppliers are given different uh, duty rates for, you know, the anti-dumping duties. So read through and see if, you know, your supplier is covered. At the end of the day, if you do, you know, you do need to pay, um, it's time to work on that submission uh, to CDP. Uh, So this would be the time that, that you uh, or an officer needs to work on a certificate of non-reimbursement. So you can pull these in advance and send them to your broker. Um, and, and there's quite a few different options of how these are pulled. Uh, you can pull these as one-time options, blanket options, uh, or you can file them in ACE. But the gist is, is that uh, these forms essentially document that your items fall within the scope of specific cases. They identify the cases involved, they document your supplier, and they ask you as the importer uh, to confirm that you will not be receiving any reimbursement or any kickbacks from the supplier or any other third party for buying and importing this item. Essentially, uh, it's guaranteeing that this item applies, you reviewed it, you know it applies, and no one else is going to give you a kickback uh, for buying an item that had AD&T covered. One thing I want to note here is that a company officer is actually responsible for authorizing these forms. Uh, so this is not something that your broker or your service provider can do on your behalf. Uh, so even if your service provider or broker, you know, looks at these cases and determines uh, that a form is needed for you, someone is going to still need to sign it, uh, an officer of your company will. So, um, you know, I also talked about kickbacks. So the most obvious example of kickbacks, you know, it would be if, you know, you, uh, company H, import, you know, these screws from company A in China. Uh, once you pay the duty, we'll end up giving you, you know, all the money that you paid in ADD cases um, part, as part of our contract. So that would be a kickback. Um, so when you sign a certificate of mine reimbursement, you're saying that your company is not getting any of these kickbacks and that, you know, you essentially have to shoulder um, the money that's included uh, in this import. One thing I want to know is that, or note, is that if you're submitting these forms in ACE, uh, you no longer actually need a scan of the a physical form, but customs can request a physical form at any time. So the best practice would be to have a completed form on hand uh, before liquidation could take place. Uh, so in terms of forms itself, I've actually uh, put a link on this slide for CDP's instructions and the bottom of those instructions lists a blank form that you know you as an importer could utilize. So now that we've gone through kind of the whole process of, of how to tell if your items apply, I wanted to focus on a, a couple examples. Uh, I'll go through two a little bit more detail today. Um, so the first that I wanted to talk about is kind of one of the longest uh, examples that have been going on in recent history is the U.S. and Canadian softwood lumber dispute. 
Um, so it's the longest trade dispute between the U.S. and Canada uh, in history, and it's essentially caused because most lumber in Canada is owned by the provincial governments, and the government set prices administratively for, for how much the wood will cost. Uh, this is slightly different than you know how the free market works in the United States, and so this has caused a pretty big dispute, uh, and because it's not done by the free market, the U.S. government uh, has dumping in place here. Um, additionally, you know, another real-life example would be the aluminum extrusions that I talked about before. So this started in 2010, uh, and this covers a whopping 125 HTS codes. So, you know, that's why I use it as an example today. Uh, most of us have seen, uh, you know, some type of aluminum extrusions in, in any of our industries. You know, it covers automotive and manufacturing, uh, even just pipe fittings for, you know, any sorts of uses. Uh, so this is one that, that most of us have seen. So the next question, you know, for me on my end uh, that I would ask is, how do these cases even come about? So, you know, what happens that, that these cases have happened? Uh, so essentially how this works is that, you know, these cases start when a petition is filed by a company uh, or any other interest against uh, an importing party or against a country in general. Um, so when I say any other interest, Unions or other, you know, labor groups uh, can start and file a petition jointly, or it could be, you know, one company, i.e., Ford Motor Company, who's filing against another company. Once the petition or complaint is made, uh, the preliminary investigation begins. So, in this, uh, there's two government agencies that are involved, which is Department of Commerce and the USITC. So commerce in this, this process reviews the petitions to see if there is any indication that the items are being dumped or subsidized. Uh, and they get about 140 days for dumping and 60 days for countervailing duties, uh, but they can request extensions if their investigation is ongoing. So in this preliminary phase, the USITC determines that the sees if there is reasonable indication that the industry has been damaged. Um, so not only, you know, does there need to be dumping or does there need to be, you know, some type of assistance that would result in countervailing duties, but U.S. industry or Canadian industry also has to be damaged by this process. So uh, at this point, you know, if it's determined that, you know, there's some preliminary, uh, there's some preliminary looking uh, like it's going to happen, uh, they'll continue investigating and they'll send out questionnaires. So most of us have had suppliers reach out at some point or another uh, that, you know, they've been sent questionnaires by the U.S. government. Uh, it's extremely important if you ever have a supplier get one of these that you ask the supplier uh, to, you know, respond to this questionnaire. Uh, if they don't respond, your supplier is definitely going to be included if there's a scope issued on these. In fact, by not responding, in many instances, it hastens about uh, an ADD or CBD case being issued. Uh, if they do respond, yes, they could be included within the scope. But like I said earlier, some anti-dumping cases have lower rates for different suppliers, and sometimes specific suppliers are not included at all. Um, so, you know, I would say it's, it's best to supply. So, you know, once the preliminary investigations are concluded, uh, if either the, you know, USITC's investigation to see if, you know, internal industry has been damaged or commerce's review to see 
if something's been dumped or subsidized. Uh, if either of those come back negative, uh, then it's closed out, said and done. This isn't going to be an anti-dumping or kind of duty case. Um, so if the preliminary investigation substantiates the petition, uh, that's when it will be published in the Federal Register, and that's when CBP will actually start to suspend the liquidation of entries on anything uh, that would fall under, you know, what they deem as the, you know, the descriptions or current HTS codes at that time. Uh, and so what this results to is that, you know, customs will ask for a private on these entries as they come in the country. This is oftentimes uh, when, you know, companies start to get scared and concerned. Uh, a couple of years ago, we had a case of grouped pulleys um, coming from China, which hit industry hard. Um, so, you know, the deposit, just because you're being asked for a deposit, uh, does not necessarily mean the case is going to be finalized, but it means that it, it's possible that it might be, and, you know, there's a chance that you're going to have to pay uh, these duties. Uh, after, you know, the preliminary determination, the final investigation begins, this takes about 75 days. Uh, there can be extensions. Some have been quicker, some have been longer. Uh, but they're supposed to get it done in 75 days or file for an extension. Uh, and this is when there's often audits uh, by the U.S. government of foreign producers. So, you know, they'll come to the facility and they'll either audit books or audit processes uh, to see if the cases will apply. So uh, if it's determined that in this final review that dumping or assistance is taking place, uh, a determination will be made. Uh, at a, basically, depending on the amount of assistance or dumping that's been determined, uh, the, the amount of the duties that the cases order will change. Um, so if, if very little assistance is done, it'll be a lesser extent, but if you know, there's quite a bit of assistance being offered, uh, the countervailing duty will be higher. And so um, once determined and is active, uh, there are periodic reviews of these these cases. Essentially, they will periodically look at the information on hand again and say, you know, is U.S. industry, would U.S. industry still be hurt by this? And is dump, dumping and or subsidizing still taking place? So um, the next question is kind of how can we help you? You know, we tried to go through this process today so, so you can look and you can see you know, the general notes of, about how anti-dumping you know, happens, how these cases come about, how you can rule out your products. Uh, at the end of the day, I realize that it's, it's a large, it's a large and intense problem. Um, you know, if that's something that you have specific questions, uh, you need single verifications or you need verification programs, uh, please reach out to, to Buckner to CSA group uh, or to me personally, and uh, we are more than happy to help. Um, you know, it's, it's a complicated project out there, uh, especially when, you know, some of these are so, you know, so intense and in-depth in terms of definitions. That's the Beyond Borders podcast for today. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you to our guest, Chris Borganis, for the exploration of this very interesting topic. If you're looking for more resources related to international trade, check out buckland.com and click on the learning section across the top of the website. Here you'll find a range of resources, including learning guides, webinars, and podcasts. 
Our downloadable learning guides include IncoTerms charts, common trade terminology, how to avoid border delays, and many more. We also host live monthly webinars and we invite you to sign up online and secure your spot for an informative presentation followed by a live Q&A session. The best way to keep up to date on all of these resources is through our weekly newsletter. We send out a newsletter every single Wednesday containing the latest resources we have to offer, as well as a roundup of the latest trade news delivered straight to your inbox. If you have any questions, please feel free to reach out to us through our website's Contact Us page, through Twitter, where our handle is at Buckland Tweets, on our LinkedIn company page, or through Instagram at Buckland Insta. Thank you so much for listening to the Beyond Borders podcast and be sure to tune in again and subscribe for more great conversations about importing, exporting, and everything else in the world of logistics and international trade.